0: Good morning, Watermark. My name is David Marvin. I lead the porch here on Tuesday nights and I'm excited to continue this series, Dying to Live. Let me read the passage as we are walking through Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 and unfolding some of the deepest, richest, and sometimes difficult to understand teachings and theologies of uh, our faith, the new life that we have. So let me read the passage and then we will dive in. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 through 23. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says this, As a Christian, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves— you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God though you used to be slaves to sin you have become you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that's the gospel that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an everyday example Because of your human limitations, he's talking about the metaphor of slavery. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every person here. Thank you just for the incredible truths. And I pray that they would, as we walk through the new life that we have, you would help us understand who you say we are and understand the gift that you have given and the life that we have access to through you. Thank you that college football is back. And thank you for so many other things and every person here, we love you, amen. That's right, guys, it's back. (laughs) Let me start with a little bit of a story that'll give us some traction for where we're going. On December 8th, 2015, I got a phone call from my pregnant wife she just left the doctor and said hey uh, you need to come home it was a tuesday night and i work on tuesday nights up here because we have an emergency C-section scheduled for tomorrow morning. He's going to come 10 days early. And I was going, what? Yes, you need to come home. And uh, so came home, packed the bags, and realized that the dream that every guy has whenever their wife gets pregnant for the very first time of being able to drive however fast I want to to the hospital, no matter what anybody says, and if the policeman follows us there, I've got the ultimate excuse. was no longer going to happen for me because the C-section is totally planned. It's like, we're here for our appointment. And uh, so... We go, we check in, we get there, and it was our first child. The delivery goes smooth, everything's fine, and we're sitting there and just holding this this new child, and they take us to our room, and you're set up for the next few days in this room where nurses around the clock take care of you, and nurses in general are amazing, but the nurses in labor and delivery are the most incredible people because you're so delirious and tired and they come and they will take the baby all night and let you sleep, which is the most amazing thing ever, especially when in that state. And so I'm sitting there and you know, day one goes by, day two goes by. I'm like, man, I could get pretty used to this. We're just watching Netflix and hanging out and nurse, take them away and we'll, we'll see them in the morning. And three days go by and they come into our room and they're like, it's time for you to leave. And I'm like, Are you sure? Is there any way to extend our reservation for another night? And she's like, no, it's time for you to leave. And I'm like, "Uh, leave? And I'm thinking through, you know, we're about to leave with this child. And when it's your firstborn, you're like, man, I feel like I'm just barely out of high school. It's borderline irresponsible for you to tell me to leave with a living human being here. I don't know how to change a diaper, all of that. It was just kind of my first rodeo of learning how to swaddle. They check us out and they walk us out. And true story, I didn't even know how to put the car seat in the car. And I tried to, couldn't get it in the right way. And the lady was like, let me take over. Nurse comes in and is putting the car seat in our car. We were just so rookie when it came to this new life, this child that we have. And I'm leaving there going, man, what are we, I don't even know that we, I don't know what to do with this new, is there like an instruction manual that we should be following for this life? And what does it have to do with what Paul is talking about? Well, we're in the middle of a conversation we started last week when Blake kicked off and highly encourage you, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen because we're picking up where he left off, where Paul introduces in a very similar and true way, there has been a new life, if you have trusted in Jesus, that has happened. It's not in the form of a child, but when you came to faith in Christ, you are given a new life. The old you is dead, gone, nailed to the cross, and as dead as Jesus was when he was crucified, the old you is, and you have a new life. And he begins to walk through how you and I are to understand and live with this new life. That every bit as real as a couple having their first child and having a new life, you in Jesus have a new life. Most people, they come to faith in Christ, and they just think, man, I prayed a prayer, I I trusted in Jesus, and my eternal life is secure, and I don't know how it works itself out in this life. And Paul would say, you're separating a huge aspect that Christ came and died for, not just to give you eternal life, but to give you his life and allow you to live his life. And so he's going to walk us through in this passage. And if you take notes, I just want to walk through three aspects of living the new life. Here's what you need to know about the book of Romans, in case uh, you haven't read it recently or you're not familiar. It was written by a guy named Paul. Paul is the apostle formerly known as Saul. When Paul was Saul, he spent years of his life trying to stomp out Christianity. He was a terrorist, if you will, and was anything but pro-Christian. Then one day, as he's going to persecute the church and Christians... Jesus shows up, knocks him off of his donkey, says, you're going to come work for me. And Paul spent the rest of his life as the greatest missionary, arguably, of all time. God would use Paul to not just spread the message of Christianity all over the world, but to write more of the New Testament than any other person we have. And Paul was incredibly brilliant, which means when you read his writings, it's difficult or you have to go slow to understand, oh, I'm following what you're saying. Like so brilliant that in one part of the New Testament, Peter is talking about Paul and writing. And it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And he writes, and Peter's writing about Paul. And he's like in chapter three of Second Peter, I understand you've been reading the writings of Paul. They can be a little difficult to understand. And you're not alone if you've been there because we're not understanding either. And <laughs> if you've ever felt that, you're not crazy. But as we'll see, he's making a very clear argument on this new life that you have and how you and I are to live it. So we're going to walk through the passage again and discover what he says the new life is made up of, specifically where it comes from, what it leads to, and what it includes. All of which, if you have put faith in Jesus, is true of you. So let me read verse 14 and 15 again and look at where it comes from. For sin shall no longer be your master, Or you may have have power over you. Because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. That Paul says that when you put your faith in Jesus, your position changed. Your position is in your relationship and your standing with God. The first idea of the new life is that it comes from a new position that you have when you trusted in Jesus. Whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you've ever heard that, whether or not you understand that. That Paul would say, formerly you, this would represent you, were underneath the law and in sin. It's what we covered last week. By under the law, what does under the law mean? Your position was in sin, defined by sin, and under the law it just means you were responsible for your own righteousness. You were responsible For living up to a standard or behavior or obeying the law and providing your own righteousness. And Paul says, the moment you trusted in Jesus, a change took place. Your position changed and you were placed in Christ and no longer under the law, but under grace. The new life comes from a new position In Christ, and fundamental to you experiencing and living out the new life is understanding there's been a shift. There's been a position that has changed. You're no longer defined by your sin. You're no longer defined by your behavior. You're no longer responsible for providing your own righteousness. You have been placed in Christ and are as righteous as Jesus himself. And your position now is under grace. The term in Christ is Paul's favorite way to describe the Christian In Christ. Over 70-some times he uses the phrase in Christ. This is who you are. You're in Christ. This position idea is highly important to him. 13 times alone in the book of Romans, he brings up, you are in Christ. You are in Christ, which means you are under grace, which means Christ provided your righteousness. You're no longer responsible for it on your own. Christ has provided it. And this is your position before God. When it comes to your standing with God, this is, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the new position and the new life comes from that new position that is here. So often we think that, you know, based on how I perform or how I act impacts my position. And Paul would say, no, 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 you gotta understand, when you trusted Jesus, your position once and for all, it was settled, you were placed into Christ underneath grace. Meaning your behavior, your actions, they don't determine or dictate where you stand with God. It is done. It is over, rover. This is your position in Christ. And he has placed you. And the new life begins to flow from that, which means we no longer have to live wondering, oh man, if it was a good week, if it was a bad week, if if I'm hung up on some sin, all of which is not God's design and desire for you. But it doesn't impact, Paul would say, for the Christian, where you stand with God. So many of us live lives and we don't believe that. It's it's almost hard for us to get our mind around that. It's like this, I work with young adults primarily, and a big thing among young adults is dating and the dating world. And for those of you who have been married for a while, you probably have forgotten this stage, but dating is the worst season ever in a relationship. Here's why, it's the perpetual interview. It's one interview after the next and they're putting their best foot forward. You're putting your best foot forward. Some of you guys can't even remember this because it was so long ago, but you were there and you would just act like, you know, you had it all together or you picked them up in your car. Your car's never been so clean ever since that day. (laughs) You're doing things and even the way that you talk about yourself or present yourself is all trying to put your best foot forward. And they ask you, how was your weekend? And you're like, it was great. You know, I spent three hours reading my Bible and then I went and baked some cookies and then I worked out for the second time. And that's just what I do every Saturday. You're You're just trying to put your foot forward in a way that is like, I want to land the relationship. They were in this interview and I, I don't want to lose the security of this relationship. Very different from that of marriage where your position, it is sealed. It is secure. And Paul says, for the Christian, something that you may have heard before but have not fully allowed to penetrate, when you came to faith in Christ, your position shifted. You got the job. You landed the position. There is no interview, no continuing on. When God looks at you, You are defined by Christ. The righteousness of Christ himself is yours. The love that God has and had and has for Christ is yours. And that's what defines you. And Paul says something really interesting. He says, do you know why sin will not rule over you? Because you're in Christ under grace. Now think about that. He says, do you know why? You are not going to just continue to live in sin and just go off and and live however you used to, despite the fact that by definition, being under grace, that I can do anything I want. He says, the fact that you live under grace is the reason why you are not going to continue to live in a way that runs towards sin rather than running towards God. It's a really interesting thing, but this is the Christian journey. Paul says, your heart begins to change. And when you were placed in grace, the fear of failure, the fear of failing or of sinning, it doesn't cause you to sin even more. It frees you up knowing, hey, even if I sin, it doesn't change my position. My performance cannot change my position. My position can change my life and my performance and my practice. But this is secure. And he says that security leads you to follow more closely with Jesus, not to abuse grace. He's answering that question. It's not dissimilar to this, when the Golden Gate Bridge was being built decades and decades ago out in San Francisco, this is an incredible structure, a huge bridge, massive if you've ever gone and seen it. They were building it, and in the first half of the bridge's construction, they had 23 people, men, fall to their death. They fell in icy cold water, and because they fell from such a large height, immediately died. And so halfway through, they decided, we're going to put a huge net underneath to catch. Now you would think, knowing that there was a huge net that'll catch them if they fall, more would have been likely to fall. But the opposite happened. Only 10 people fell in the rest of the completion. And not only that, knowing a net was there to catch me that I no longer have to be afraid if I fall, didn't just lower the number of people who fell, it increased the effectiveness and the production speed by 25%, significant increase that the net being there didn't increase the number of people who fell. It had the opposite effect. It's similar to the Christian life, Paul would say. The Christian life understands, man, how I relate to God doesn't shift based on how I act or perform or behave. My position is secure. And that impacts how I live my life. And however that life is lived, it doesn't change this. But everything in the new life flows from understanding this is your position if you're in Jesus once and for all. And then he begins to describe how that position impacts our life, our practice, our behavior. He says this in verse 16 Don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Paul brings up an analogy of slavery that his audience would have understood. In that day, a majority of people who were in slavery, it didn't look like slavery uh, in more modern centuries. It was often indentured servitude. You would become a slave in a situation where, man, I can't afford to pay that debt off. So here's what I'll do. I will work for you for free until the debt is paid off. You would offer yourself into slavery, willing or voluntarily in that. And he brings it up just like in that scenario where you're choosing, hey, I'm gonna pay that off. If you do so with sin, it leads to death, or obedience that leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have become, you have come to obey from the heart, a change has happened. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That's the gospel. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. He's describing his metaphor. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness or to God, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. Those things result in death. Paul brings up the idea that this new position that you and I have leads to new practice. If you take notes, that's the second idea I just want to talk through where he begins to lay out, and by practice, I mean behavior. He begins to say that your position under grace leads to new practices in this life. And he gives us the part that you and I are to do, which is he says, present yourselves in the same way that you used to present yourselves to sin and just kind of let sin take you wherever you will. You and I are to present ourselves to God and let that position impact our practice. This is the tension of the Christian life because he lays out what you and I are to do is to present ourselves to God. Of God, I'm bringing my life to you. And the way that the Christian life is grown, spiritual life happens or spiritual growth takes place is by us bringing ourselves to God and doing the things that lead to that growth happening in our life or that allow for God to produce that growth inside of us because this may be something you've never heard before you can't live the Christian life on your own the Christian life is the life of Christ you can't live the life of Christ you can't even stay on a diet You think you can live the life of Christ? Only one person can live the life of Christ. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. His name is Christ. You and I can't anymore attempt. In other words, if you begin to go, man, now I'm for sure going to, now I'm going to be Christ-like. You're living in you. Paul says, there's no power living in you. No wonder he brings up in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The Christ is the only one who can produce that growth inside of our life. You and I are responsible when it says bring or present ourselves to him to cooperate with how God produces growth and cultivate the things that lead to that growth. Now, this will make sense, but stay with me because we're going on a very narrow path. My cousins are farmers, to use an analogy, my cousins are farmers up in Kansas and they grow maize, thousands of acres of maize. I don't know who's using maize, but somebody is because clearly you know, there's a lot of it being produced up there. They can't grow maize. Have you ever thought about this? Like a farmer can do what? They can cultivate an environment that leads to the growing of maize and they can cooperate with how God says maize is grown. But only one person who's God can actually create life and growth and bring that about. Now, what do they do? They're responsible for tilling the soil, providing extra water if it has been rainy lately, making sure it gets sunlight, and not working against the process by which God, the creator just brings about crops by pouring on toxins or doing things that are gonna lead to that being destroyed. So their responsibility in order to grow something is I'm gonna cultivate and cooperate with how God grows something. This is what the Bible teaches over and over as it relates to spiritual growth. Do you and I are to cultivate and cooperate with how God brings about growth. In First Corinthians chapter three, Paul even brings this idea of, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, and he's talking about spiritual life. But only God gives growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. The inside of the Christian life, you and I are responsible. Paul used the word to present. Other places, it talks about what you and I are to do to present ourselves and cooperate and cultivate the things that lead to growth. You can't do them on your own, but God can. So what is our responsibility in that? What does it mean to cultivate and cooperate? That would be the things that we would call spiritual disciplines or spending time talking to God in prayer, reading God's word. I'm gonna cultivate and cooperate the things that lead to the life of Christ growing in me. And I'm not gonna work against that process by pouring on toxins. And by toxins, Paul would use the word of sin. Hey, you're free from sin. Don't bring that back in here. So I'm not gonna intentionally bring into my life things that are gonna be toxic to that. I'm not going to, and when they do pop up, when lustful thoughts come up, when control over where my kids are going to go to school and how are they doing, when anger and and bitterness begins to form inside of my marriage, I'm going to do what any good farmer would do. I found some toxin. I'm going to get rid of that through confession to other people. So the way that we cultivate and cooperate with the way God creates growth is not by trying harder to create the life of Christ, It is by working alongside of the way and the one who ultimately brings and creates growth in your life. I think the reason this is so hard that our practice doesn't impact our position, but our position changes and impacts our practice is because everything in the world works the opposite way. From a very early age, you and I were told, hey, if you want to have a good position, you need to make sure that you practice or you work hard from it, whether it's in grade school. Hey, if you want to be at the top of your class, your position is determined by how hard you work in the classroom, how many grades or how good of grades you get on the sports field. Your position on the team where you're going to play is determined by your practice, son. So you better work hard. You better put in the work, better practice, because that's going to impact your position. And then you get to the New Testament and Paul says, I don't know, that's not how God works. Your practice cannot shake your position. But your position before God will and can shape your practice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 or chapter 15, Paul says this. I mean, this is all throughout the Bible where Paul says, hey, my position is what shapes my practice, not the other way around. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's his position, God's grace. And his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them. That's his practice because of his position. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You and I are to present ourselves no longer as slaves to sin, but to present ourselves to God and cooperate with the way that he brings and produces spiritual life and spiritual growth. And Paul says that position and you continue, another word for it be following Jesus. This is why Jesus taught, if you continue to abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But on your own, in you, John chapter 15, you can do nothing, but I can in you. And now we come and we say, God, here's my life. I'm gonna work with you to produce that growth. And then finally, he goes into the new privileges that we have as a part of our new position. But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The benefit you reap or the fruit you get, the ESV or your translation may have, leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Paul says you are a new person. You have been set free. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have the choice anytime sin is there. You're no longer a slave like the world around you is enslaved. You have been set free. You've been given a new freedom and that new freedom leads to the fruit of holiness being created by God in your life. And the ultimate gift our ultimate privilege of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the third idea from the text is our new position has privileges that come along with it. One of them he introduces is this idea of fruit, the fruit that you reap or the fruit that you get is what the text says. That God brings about a fruit in your life of holiness. That God is the one who in this new life that you have, you have the privilege of God creating fruit inside of your life growing and making you more like Jesus. Something that formerly was impossible and is impossible for anyone who is not positioned in Christ. What do I mean by that? In my backyard, I've got two trees. Um, one that is a dead fig tree that in snow apocalypse, went to be with the Lord. And <laughs> the other one that is a pecan tree that is alive. You know what I've noticed about the dead fig tree? It doesn't produce figs. No matter how many times I check, there's no figs. And I've noticed something else about the pecan tree that's alive. It produces pecans. Now, I don't think it comes down to the fact that the fig tree is just phoning it in. He's really not trying. I think it comes down to the fact that he's dead. (laughs) A dead tree can't produce anything. Versus and alive, pecan tree, that can produce something because it's alive. And Paul says, you have a new life. And this is why God continues to, through his spirit, conform you more to Jesus. And if you're in Christ, whether even you want it to or happen to, this is just what he's doing. This is why you'll find yourself, you know, experiencing what the Bible calls conviction because the Holy Spirit, you say something and he just reminds you, I, I think you could have said that in a kinder way. And the spirit comes up and it, you formerly you just would have been so angry and so upset and you would have moved on. And now you find yourself going, I think I need to ask for your forgiveness. You're in dating relationships or in your marriage, your parenting is being impacted and shaped because there's a new life that is being created or has been created that you have, whether you believe it, whether you feel it, whether you always think it, it's there. And Paul says one of the benefits and privileges is that fruit that God is bringing about of holiness of living in line with him. The other privilege that he mentions is there's a freedom that God says you are free. And the Christian life is living in this tension of though I am free, there's still sin inside of me. There's still past patterns. There's still lustful thoughts, anxious feelings. There's still ways in which I, I continue to operate not in who God says that I am, but in whom I heart or my sin nature is what the Bible says. All of us have something sinful one day will be done, or one day will be done away with, but still exists. And now I'm learning to live as who God says I am in Christ. A friend of mine was going through the process of adopting, and if you've been there, it can be a long journey process, and finally they got word that their son, who was in Africa, they were going to adopt, and they got him home, and they brought him home, and Just a young, less than four years old, so excited. And he was in a moment with a stroke of a pen transferred from under the authority of an orphanage, under the rules and responsibilities and the lifestyle that an orphanage brings about. And with the signing of a single document, transferred authority. Now he's no longer in there, no longer has to listen or conform to or informed by, He's a part of a new family and learns to live and must learn to live and will learn to live underneath and in and a part of that new family. And you know what he was saying when the first couple months or years that he was there, he would always ask, he's got a new dad, new family. And this young kid would ask a question that his dad thought was so weird, bizarre at first. Couldn't understand. Over and over he'd ask it every night before bed. He'd say, Dad, are we going to have breakfast tomorrow? And, and then the next day would go by. He said, Dad, are we going to have breakfast tomorrow? And he said, Yeah, we're going to have breakfast tomorrow. And he would ask it again. Are we going to have breakfast tomorrow? And he realized, oh, you didn't used to have breakfast. You, didn't, you grew up not knowing, or you were living in an environment where you were wondering, are we going to have breakfast? And yeah, we're going to have breakfast. We're going to have as much breakfast as you want. And that child, despite the fact that all authority, everything about his position has been totally changed, is living with the reality that there's still mindsets, environments, things that have shaped and impacted and formed and impacted us. And now, even though I'm over here, I can be tempted to think and wonder and be curious. uh, Is that how it's gonna be? And Paul would say, living the Christian life is that journey where you begin to walk with God And walk with him, even though you are new. You are new. Your sin doesn't define you. Your past doesn't define you. Your actions don't define you. Christ defines you. Your position in him defines you. It is done. And there are moments where you may, like a child who's in a new home, are we going to have breakfast from that old life? There's going to be times where control, anxiety, anger, bitterness, they're going to creep in. And our role is to go, God, We you help me cultivate the things. I want to live like who you say I am. And then Paul finishes with the most powerful, beautiful, incredible verse of the entire passage. And he says, not just that. Not do you just have the privilege of living underneath a new authority with a new freedom. And you have the privilege of living in a new relationship where God produces the fruit in your life. You have been given the greatest gift of all. The gift of eternal life. And I want you to listen and think about how audacious these words are. You've heard them before. If you raised in church, if you're raised in Sunday school, you've heard them. But think about how incredibly profound this is. For the wages of sin is death. He contrasts sin and God. Sin always pays in death. But the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, is eternal life. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift, he says, not only that, you have the privilege of the free gift of eternal life. What does it mean to have a free gift? I want you to think about that. That God says, the only way you get eternal life is by accepting a free gift. Not by earning it, not by trying for it, by accepting the free gift. What would make a gift not free? If I was to give you a gift, if I said, hey, here's my phone. If you were to take it and say, you know what? I'm gonna earn, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna pay for it. Here's some money, not a free gift. If you decide, you know what? Hey, I'm gonna give you that. Well, I need to give you something too. That's not a free gift. The only way you get access to eternal life is by accepting the free, no strings attached gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that God on the cross gave his life, lived the life you couldn't and the life I couldn't, died the death we deserved so that you would have the free gift of eternal life the message of the world is that god helps those who help themselves the message of the bible is god helps those who can't help themselves which is everyone and the choice that you and i have especially if you've never had a moment where you trust in jesus is will you accept it because i can offer a free gift but if you don't receive it by accepting it you have missed the greatest gift anyone could ever experience and have The gift that seals you once and for all in the position of in Christ for now and all of eternity. In Some ways the opening idea that I shared of a child and this new life is so fitting because my son did nothing to be born, nothing to have new life. He was entirely dependent on his parents and on God. And the new life that you and I have is entirely dependent on God. And now we are allowed to let this position impact our eternal life and our practice in this life, knowing no matter what happens, I am forgiven, I am loved, I am free because I am in Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that every one of them is someone who, whether or not they feel like they know you, you know all about them. And you love them so much, you would give your life and die in their place. I pray for anyone who's never accepted that truth. Today would be their day. And I pray that you would allow all of us who you call words that candidly I feel so unworthy of, like holy, righteous, forgiven, loved. Would you allow those to, pierce and penetrate deeper into our hearts so that we would be free to live as we are called by you. Thank you that you paid it all. We owe you everything. And we worship you now in song. Amen.